Renner has a boomstick. What more could you ask for? <laughs> uh, when you say that, it actually makes it seem less credible. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Dude, I just thought it was funny. This is Movie Bite, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. Today is Wednesday, January 30th, 2013, and I'm your host, TJ Draper. And I'm joined by Star Wars aficionado, Joe Darnell. Hey. Well, good evening, TJ. I took care of Joe Darnell tonight so that I, Jason Statham, could be with you. Oh, how are you, Jason? Uh, very good to be here. I'm glad. Um, I was available to review my movie with you tonight, so I'm glad I could be here as well. Excellent. Well, feel free to not get offended when we have bad things to say about your film, Jason. Oh, whatever you have, I'm sure I'm ready for it. And if not, I'll just kill it. <laughs> okay. Uh, sure. I just have a couple of rules that I live by, TJ. The main one being, if I don't like it, I kill it. Um, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> How long can you keep this up? Oh, I'm going to stop there. Okay. All right. he, he, he's gone. Jason <sighs> is gone. He has left the building. No, I killed him. Oh, okay. I uh, didn't know you were that type of person, Joe. Mm, well, he was trying to take my seat. He was trying to nab my, my microphone. Ah, well, that makes sense. Okay, I couldn't I let understand. that happen. Yeah. So you want to talk about some Star Wars and stuff? Yeah, but we have a few things to get to before we get to that, unless you want to go out of order from our outline. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't mess up the order, man. Keep it in order. I know, because right. we're all, you know... DCO people, right? Or oh, was it CDO? Or, CDO, or, yes, CDO. CDO. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, they're in their proper order that way, yes. <laughs> instead of OCD. <laughs> well, uh, t- top of the news tonight is that Joss Whedon wants to return to Firefly. Good people of Movie Bite, I sure hope you know what Firefly is. You yeah, had better, because we're a couple of Whedon nerds around here. Yeah, if you don't know what Firefly is, well, we I, I suppose we should say we still love you, but my goodness, get you know, get out from under your rock. <laughs> yeah, even my wife liked Firefly, so... Yeah, and it was a such lot. a tragic thing. Now, you wanted to talk about this. You put this in the show notes. I didn't, but I'm perfectly willing to talk about it, it being Joss Whedon. You know, yeah. it really... What Fox did to that show was so horrible... They they aired all the episodes out of order. They gave it bad time slots. They gave it bad airing. And what do you know? The ratings weren't that good because people didn't even know about the show or they watched it and didn't make sense because it was out of order. And so Fox killed it. And it's such a great show. And it has a cult following now. So it's really kind of sad. And, and you know, there was there's even been uh, fan uh, noises about funding, trying to get funding for uh, a, a new firefly series like trying to trying to see if there if, if the money was there could they offer everybody enough to come back and do firefly in some capacity and joss whedon has even shot that down now i understand why he shot it down personally i mean it's his baby why would he want the fans trying to basically take over or whatever but uh that kind of sent a bad message i think to the fan base like they're thinking oh he's joss whedon is not interested in going back there it's old news well that's not true according to this article that i linked to uh yesterday um, as they say, he, sh- uh, he said, uh, okay, so speaking to the Toronto Sun, the, t- the director started, stated that he'll never let hopes of a Firefly resurrection die. Quote, I will never, I'll never really accept it. And I always, in the back of my head, think, what if I could get the old gang back together? <laughs> and that's, I think, uh, I, I think a bunch of geeks, uh, collectively, uh, 
caused the world to explode nearly with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly an interesting possibility, but it's so hard to, to pull a show back together like that. I mean, because your actors have all gone on to different things. They may have varying lengths of contract, you know, because when you pull a show together, you, you cast from the actors that are available. And that, you know, pulling a show back together with the same actors is just exceedingly difficult. And part of the complex issue there is that some of these actors are really decent. I mean, most of them are great for their role. But I felt that even though the story of Firefly was very strong and the screenwriting was very strong, that not all the acting was. So I think inevitably you'd have to make a compromise or two along the way. Because if he reboots Firefly, it'll probably be a movie series. I mean, think about it. Joss Whedon's capable and probably going to continue with television shows. But now that he's got his foot in the door big time with movies, I don't think he could resist to give Firefly the kind of production values and the attention it would get from a a film adaptation series. And I mean, I'm I'm not discounting Serenity, but all things considered, I think that if he reboots this thing, he is going to reboot this thing. And we might see some of the performers come back, but I, I don't know. I just I, I would love to see yeah, it because but, Firefly was rather okay, novel. Okay. Two things. First of all, uh, what acting did you have a problem with in Firefly? <sighs> about tread, ha- tread lightly. About, about half of it. What what are you talking about? <laughs> you and I cannot be friends, man. Oh, okay. Well, uh, well, shoot, man, because I was just get, I was just at Norton to have fun. What? what? You, I don't understand. I don't remember there being any bad acting in Firefly. Now, I will say. Now, the second thing is Serenity. Uh, I like to pretend it doesn't exist, but okay. it does. It does exist. It was. It was not a great film, which is all. It's all the more surprising that Joss Whedon actually got the Avengers because Serenity was a challenged film in many ways, and it was his first feature film. And it wasn't really a feature film, but it was, you know, there was a lot of challenges. A, how do you wrap everything up in two hours? And B, wow, that would just not was just not Joss Whedon's finest moment at all. Yes. No. Well, I, okay. Uh, you want to know the kind of some of the acting I didn't care for? Yes. Uh, Gina Torres and Adam Baldwin. You've got to be lot. kidding. No, I'm dropped it serious. I love I just, them. I, I really thought that Nathan Fillion and... Um, you know, what is his name? Alan Tudyk? Is that his how it's pronounced? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I thought that they did a swell job. A few of the others were kind of in the middle there, right? You know, what is his name? Uh, Sean Mayer? Yeah, yeah, Sean Mayer. I wasn't too crazy about him either. You're nuts. No, uh, I just, they, they don't work on a film level. They work for, you know, sci-fi channel Firefly TV show stuff. <sighs> they, they just don't work for a film. Okay, all right, we, we really have to move off of this topic. <laughs> I understand. I, I can't, but then I can't, again, I mean, I can't entertain what am I these thoughts anymore. Okay, I, I'll have to give you this. You know, the guy who played Captain America used to be the Human Torch for the Fantastic Four films before yeah. he did Captain America. You yeah. know what? And he made a huge improvement between those two franchises. Obviously, if Firefly were restarted and they brought back the old cast together, they probably could prove themselves with some better performances. But see, I, so. in, in all fairness, I never thought that, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but Captain America, I never thought his acting was bad in as the Human Torch. I just thought that the, the, the part was not that well written. 
in yeah yeah that that's the real problem you're right so yeah i don't even so i i don't see the 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 bad acting in firefly i will not admit to such a thing the only bad acting i could possibly give you is sean Mayer. possibly a little bit Mm. but i've seen far worse so Mm. You're, you're you're just you're you're just out of your tree oh okay so moving on, moving on. Uh, All right. So Lex Friedman tries yeah, you, to cut the cord. Yes, and you linked to the wrong thing in the show notes. Now that means I got to go on the site and search for this article to remember what. Oh, it's on the homepage. Yeah. Just scroll Is it still on the a little bit down. I don't. Yes, when I Lex this. Friedman tries to cut the cord. There it is. Okay, so. The bottom line here is that Lex Friedman, Friedman over at Macworld, uh, he decided to go the same route that I have gone and, and a few of us nerds have gone, and that is to go all on demand and cancel the cable service. And when we say cable service, and when he says cable service, he doesn't mean his cable internet. He means his cable channel subscriptions. Well, you know, your, your 350 or whatever it is now cable channels that these different providers provide. So... Uh, he called up his cable company, and they uh, <laughs> they decided to to try to sell him to stay. Like they're even offering him uh, all the same that he had, all the the whole cable package he had, plus more channels that he would normally have to pay for, plus uh, faster internet for less money than it would have cost him to cancel the cable the cable channel service and keep only the cable internet. That's crazy. What what that means, what that says to me, and what he deducted is that the cable companies are trying, and it's only for a year. I should mention that too. It's like for a year, you get everything for less money, and so the cable company's trying to keep him on the subscription model, hoping that in a year he'll forget and the price can go back up. They're trying desperately to cling to this old model. Well, of course they are. They're not going to be able to survive with the internet if they move over to the internet, which they've already tried. It's just, uh, you know, they've democratized the way that you gather entertainment. So it's not going to work. And YouTube, I think, is actually trying to re-monopolize it. You know, they're trying to centralize it. And it just doesn't seem like anyone stands a chance against them right now. And Netflix already has a piece of the pie, but I don't see them growing. and uh, or Or, you know, receding either, because they're here to stay. I mean, think about it. But yeah, the... Comcast and the like, their days are numbered. They are, and it's but but see, my point is, instead of embracing a new model and saying, okay, everybody wants internet from us, they don't want necessarily. And and to be fair, I'd say way over half the people actually want their uh, subscription channels, but there is a growing contingent of people, and as we move forward, it'll be just be snowballing more and more that aren't going to want subscription cable channels, like. Even if I could get it, I wouldn't because I don't want to spend my life waiting for a TV show to come on, planning myself in front of the TV at a certain time of day. I want to schedule that time. So, Sure. Yeah. So um, in, in any event, they could be doing things to seat themselves well. These ISPs could be uh, seating themselves well in the future, but instead they're clinging to this old model and trying to convince people to stay with the old model. And that's, that is a recipe for failure, I think. Absolutely, I, 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 there's no bones about it. So, and 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 you know, it's it's really nice that MacWorld is getting on the bandwagon with things like this. Uh, PC World then also consequentially, I think the more that technology enthusiasts discuss it, the faster we will get off of the old model and onto the new one. Yeah, it seems like though there will be a generational gap there 
I mean, it's not all the way across the board. I mean, I know there are some cool parents that are going to start using things like Netflix online all the time, but, you know, using Apple TV or whatever it is they got. But it just doesn't seem like cable can, complete, can completely die until the the old is completely gone and the new is ushered in. And the new cannot be ushered in until we have a few more people who grow up. So. Oh, it's it's definitely still growing. It's in, in you know right now people laugh at us and say, oh no, the world's not going that way. And and oh, the it's ISPs, so absolutely going there. The it ISPs may take us twenty are, years, right? The ISPs are feeling the same way, but they could be positioning themselves for the future, and instead they're not. It, it's not surprising, but it is disappointing. Lex Friedman, by the way, can be heard often on The Incomparable, is another great podcast on movies and TV shows and geeky culture and things that I listen to. So. Uh, and be sure to check out, by the way, I meant to mention this before we moved on, the link for the previous thing we talked about and the link for this will, of course, be in the show notes, uh, which will be found at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 29 for this episode. So. Yes. Okay. And next up, we have the story of the SAGA Awards. I guess it's technically SAG Award ah. um, Awards. So it's a, uh, but it's the big old well, let me just back up here. You know, there there are the Oscars. A lot of people have heard of them. And then lesser known are the Golden Globes and the SAGA. Um, the SAGA ceremony is the only televised award ceremony in the industry that focuses only on performers. And it was held in Los Angeles's Shrine Exposition Center on Sunday, January 27th. No one, a movie or TV show ruled the day. Though NBC's 30 Rock took home both Comedy Acting Awards and Steven Spielberg's Lincoln earned honors for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. And I thought that this is a good opportunity to uh, sort of objectively study what goes on at the Oscars. There's a lot of people these days that understand it's just for the hype and it's also for um, Hollywood to pat themselves on the back. Uh, It seems to me that they they're rather subjective and so are you know the golden globes and sag awards but i think if you collectively look at them all you kind of get a better picture painted picture of what's really working and what did work in 2012 and uh so so i just wanted to mention a couple of the highlights daniel day lewis won for his performance in lincoln as abraham lincoln super awesome i, I think that that makes total sense he, he really makes you convinced Throughout that film, he's he can be Lincoln, even if the movie wasn't as great as he was. Right now, did you did, did you see the Silver Linings playbook? I haven't. It looked dumb to me, but it looked dumb to me too. I but, I'm hearing good things about it, even from people that I would have thought shared my opinion. So I guess I'm going to have to see it. Right, because right now it's got a 92 by critics and a 90 percent by audiences on on Rotten Tomatoes. But well, Jennifer Lawrence, who stars in um. Uh, I wanted to say Firefly, and then I wanted to say the lady with the dragon tattoo, and then I was like, no, 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 what is it? Ah, oh, what is it, dude? Ah, uh, that other movie she starred in last summer, last spring. You talking about Jennifer Lawrence? Yes, yes. yes. Um, uh, Hunger Games. Thank you. Oh, shoot, man, I'm go- I'm losing it. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, but she she got the uh, the award for best actress in a leading role in the Silver Linings play- uh, playbook. Yeah, well, uh, listener of the show, friend of the show, Chad, um, gave it a 5 of 5 in his review on chadlikesmovies.com. I'll put, that <laughs> I'll put that link in the show notes. Well, that's so, terrific. Okay, yeah, he, I'll have he, to look and, it up on I've, his recommendation. I've read a few reviews of his, and he's not a, necessarily afraid to rate a movie lower. So I would assume that, you know, 
It's not a, you know, it's not a question of, you know, whether he just, you know, likes all the movies or not. So, and the one thing I thought was the understatement of the entire award ceremony was when Anne Hathaway won her uh, for her part in Les Miserables. Uh, oh, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, and she won this. Uh, frankly, wow, I, I'll be really disappointed in the Oscars if they don't go ahead and give her the award there also, because uh, I understand that there there's some politics involved, and it seems like if the award is won at the Golden Globes or the SAGA that then that kind of reflects on what the Oscars might do. And they oftentimes they tried to diversify and for the sake of diversification. You know what I mean? That thing is undisputable. The outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role has got to be Anne Hathaway. I don't care what award ceremony you're running. Yeah, no kidding. So. And regardless of how you felt about that film, I mean, come on. So that's that. Yeah. All right, Star Wars and Star there, Trek. Th- yeah, there's some some big news going on here. Just, just well, I mean, you know, just some oh by the way stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, this news broke actually while I was uh, down there with you in uh, Georgia this past week, and uh, we were in meetings and stuff, uh, talking about the movie bite site actually, and just you know things we wanted to do, and just having a you know big old time, kind of lounging around and what, what watching would you say? Parker, watching Parker, eating you know eat food and whatnot, you know, just trying to paint a picture. What here guys for you. do? Eat yeah. food. <clears throat> sit sit at the internet. And here I, I logged on to Twitter as I had some downtime, and I'm scrolling through my feed, and then there's this thing, J.J. Abrams to direct Star Wars 7. J.J. Abrams to direct Star Wars 7. Oh my goodness, J.J. Abrams direct Star Wars 7! Ah! It's like all of Twitter, all of a sudden my whole timeline exploded. I mean, every tweet was Whoosh. about J.J. Abrams directing Star Wars. I thought, wow, this is, there's smoke, there's fire, but I've got to verify this. So, sure enough, that's what was going on. <laughs> Uh, and I, I found the link that was as f- close to the source as I could get at therap.com, which I didn't even know. That, who, how dare they name their site after one of our podcasts? <laughs> uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to talk to them about that. So, uh, and, and then what, you know, one of the things I thought was really funny is uh, the, the Twitter reactions, uh, specifically uh, Damon Lindelof, uh, who's uh, no, you know, known to work with J.J. and writes, and he wrote Prometheus and different things. So he, he gets around in Hollywood, and he several hours after the news aired, he apparently jumps on Twitter and he goes, Hey, everybody, what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to wonder if he was being facetious. Oh, definitely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? I'm just trying to find the highlights here. Um Somebody who I don't know, but I thought the the tweet was funny. As long as J.J. Abrams avoids severe blunt force trauma to the head, these new Star Wars films will be way better than the last ones. Yes. And somebody tweets, "Don't be too proud of these J.J. Abrams jokes. You J.J. Abrams jokes you've constructed. The ability to destroy a man is insignificant next to the power of the force." <laughs> and uh, I, I like the flair is strong with this one. That was by Elijah Wood, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yes. Frodo, Frodo himself. <laughs> That's funny he capitalizes F and Flair, because, yes, it is a religion. (laughs) To to J.J. Abrams. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, and I wrote an editorial, which you can also catch in the show notes. And then, please watch. It's the funniest thing you will watch all day. Please watch The Flair of Abrams. The Flair is strong with this one. Uh, And I'll link that in the show notes as well. Just awesome stuff. But, you know, what is... um, 
I think the question is, what does this mean for Star Wars? What does it mean for Star Trek? Uh, what, what do you, I mean, do you have, I'm sure you have some opinions. You're the Star Wars guy around here. I'm the Star Trek guy. Everybody knows you're the Star Wars guy. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Um, I wrote about it on my personal site a little bit. Um, I also wrote about it in an editorial for Movie Byte in the email. And Oh, that's right. You did. I forgot you did that one. Uh, yeah. Bottom line is that I'm really excited about J.J. Abrams taking over Star Wars, but I feel like if he's going to be faithful to his new film uh, job, he's going to hinder the progression for the franchise of Star Trek. And at the same time, some people were not, never really satisfied with his first film of Star Trek. That, I would be in that camp. I'm, I, I'm, I was not completely satisfied by it. I, I agree that it's mostly just great amusement, and it's very low on the quality compared to some of the thoughtfulness that goes into other Trek television shows and older movies. But then again, Star Trek has always been hit or miss, and as far as entertainment value goes, it's got to be one of the top. Um, but that said... You look at movies like Super 8 and uh, even what was the other one called? Cloverfield that's, that J.J. Abrams did? Yes. And then you listen to a few of his commentaries. You got to accept the fact this guy was born to save Star Wars from George Lucas. And uh, what he did for Super 8 proved that even in this modern age with digital cameras that make everything look, well, modern and unfamiliar to audiences who have been watching movies for the past 50 years, you can go back and you can make a movie that feels like it was created in a completely different time period. I don't know that JJ Abrams will do this deliberately with star Wars, like he did with super eight, where it felt like an old Steven Spielberg film um, in every way. But if at least case we understand that JJ is able to, adopt whatever style is necessary to sell you on uh, how he wants his movie presented. And now that we have Disney, you know, paying for this thing and we've got that uh, great writer from toy story three and Pixar in on the bandwagon, who's writing this film uh, star Wars episode seven, JJ, I, I think we have a match made in heaven. And I got really kind of excited yesterday when I saw on IMDb's uh, profile for Episode 7 that it showed Carrie uh, Fisher and Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford were playing the parts of Luke, Leia, and Han. And then I asked you, what is this about? Has this been confirmed? Um, well, I, I mean, who knows? I think sometimes, especially in the early stages, Movie Byte uh, – Movie Byte. We're Movie Byte. IMDb does a lot of speculation on that sort of thing. Uh, as the as the film timeline progresses and as we get closer, things get confirmed and things get removed and deleted. But I've noticed this on IMDb before, this early in the game, things are not necessarily set in stone. I think we're all assuming at this point that they will appear in some form. If if the movies are set after Return of the Jedi and if, as, if as rumored, they are set uh, 30 years or 20 years or 30 years or something like that after Return of the Jedi, then I think there's a good chance we could see them. Mm. But so, we'll so see. what do you think, TJ? You really haven't hit hit this point yourself. What do you think about my theory that T, uh, that J.J. Abrams' work with Star Wars is at Star Trek's expense? I don't know about that. I I see J.J. as very committed to the things that he does. In fact, there's a lot of talk about how he wasn't sure he even wanted the Star Wars job, and this from the guy who is a self-professed Star Wars nut, right? Like. 
he his first preference would have been to direct a Star Wars film, but he thought, as most of us probably did, that's never there's never going to be another Star Star Wars film. I'd be barking up the wrong tree. And he was given the opportunity to do Star Trek, and he liked Star Trek, so he took it. But I don't think, given that once he commits to something, he's going to make it as good as he thinks it needs to be. I'm not saying I agree with all his decisions all the time. I'm not saying that I liked the new version of Star Trek as much as other Star Trek films. I'm saying he will give it his all. So when he's involved in a project, he will give it his all. Now, it's already been said, too, Kathleen Kennedy said that uh, the date for Star Wars, though it has been thrown about and bandied about, is not necessarily set in stone. And so if J.J. needs for it to slip, the date can slip. So the the point here is that J.J. is going to give uh, Star Wars and Star Trek the things that he thinks that they need. Uh, So I I don't quite see your point there. Um, I don't quite agree with your point. I mean, I, I see what it is. I don't quite agree with it. I think that I don't think that either franchise will suffer necessarily because of it. Um, I, I now the I, reason I say though that they could compete for each other's you know attention and time with JJ is not because so much that JJ is an you know a um, a limited director, but I, and I'm not saying that he doesn't care about one as much as the other per se, but it's a tug of war, right? See, even Steven Spielberg, who I think any day of the week could produce fantastic films if he would just focus all of his attention on on producing. Or if he wanted to direct films, if he would focus all of his attention to just directing, then everything he could do, would do, would be just fantastic. I think that he could pull it off. But because Spielberg wants to be so much more, and because he's got companies to manage, and because he's worried about those things and how his uh, companies like DreamWorks are seen and what is what are their plans for the next five years. And he's dabbling with so many different things. Then he's got his own movies he's producing and he's watching very closely. And those direct uh, director roles he has to play. And he's spread too thin. So we've seen that Spielberg has suffered from this, though he is consistently, in, you know, sorry, inconsistently knocked some balls out of the park. I'm not saying that, you know, uh, was it a war horse and others like it were, uh, you know, poor and it reflected his, um, his shortcomings, but there are other films that have like Tintin and him producing transformers. I mean, what was up with that? Yeah. Uh, I think that things, moments like that for Spielberg prove you can take a great director and he can just squander his good years. And I feel like, JJ has all these undertakings with television shows and now these two huge franchises and he's working with different studios and all of his time and attention, no matter what kind of stamina he's got is something will, will suffer and people will start picking up the slack for him over at bad robot or well, at Disney. That, that was what I was about to say is you have to remember, this is not just JJ, although we talk about JJ a lot. It's really his production company, bad robot. Now, when we talk about directing, obviously if JJ's directing something, JJ's directing it. But when you say he's involved in a lot of TV shows, what we mean is his company, bad robot is producing a lot of TV shows. And, and sure he may have been part of the conceptual meetings and he may still be part of those meetings, but he's not giving, like he's not running these shows himself. So I, I think I think that there's still room and I think that he's only like he only does one film at a time. I don't think he's going to try to do Star Trek and Star Wars at the same time. You know, the other thing that Paramount said, they were very careful in their wording because some people wondered how this was going to affect his relationship with Paramount. Because he's, you know, with Mission Impossible and Star Trek and, and other things going on, he has a relationship with Paramount. 
And so Paramount basically said, we're happy to work with J.J. in whatever way he sees fit. He is on board to direct, uh, not to direct, he is on board to produce. They're very careful with that word. But he's on board to produce another Star Trek film, and he's already signed that contract. So, um, you know, I, I, time will tell. And, and I'm hopeful that this Star Trek will be better than the last one. I'm hopeful that the upcoming Star Wars will be better than the prequels. Uh, how could they, they could sink lower, but really, how could they? <laughs> mm. So... That that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, fair enough. I you know I'm looking forward to it, and it's uh it's gonna be a long ride before we get there. <laughs> I'm it not will. looking well, and, and especially if the 2015 date slips, we're looking at yeah. At this point, we're looking at at least over a little over two years, maybe more. If J, if JJ has too much on his plate, it's gonna slip. Because like and I, I said, JJ will give those things the attention they need. I think. But that's the part I'm not looking forward to. As it is, I feel like the internet's already introduced so many different, you know, um, make-believe trailers and, you know, other things that I'm dying to <laughs> see this thing already in the making, and it's killing me. Uh, I mean, we got a script, and we know who's doing it and why, and now we're going to have to hear about it in the media incessantly for the next two or three years. <sighs> the trials of being a movie enthusiast. Yeah, it's so hard, Joseph. It's so hard. We have it so hard just sitting around watching movies and waiting for them to, you know, come down the pike. All right, you ready so, to review something? Yeah, let's talk about Parker. All right, let's get our Parker on. Uh, let's talk about this. Well, this, is this a, here movie. This is a conflicted <laughs> film. I'll, I'll just say that at the outset. Uh, do you have any opening statements? I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, that if you're not familiar with Jason Statham, you should be. And he, he's a fabulous British actor. I enjoy several of his other um, pulpy action flicks. I'm not saying that his films are incredible films. They're not, they're not just you know, earth-shattering, you-gotta-stop-and-watch films. But I really enjoy Jason Statham. He's a, he's a fairly decent actor. Uh, you can't get over his accent. and it, Well, not just his accent, but also his gravelly voice. Or what, what? What about the part? I'm just going to skip just ahead here for just a minute. You know, what? What? What if he's from San Antonio, Texas? Oh, ouch! <laughs> yeah. Um, I will. I will. I will say this. I've never seen Statham in anything before, and I thought, despite whatever shortcomings I felt the film may have had, spoiler alert, um, I thought that he was a pretty felt pretty good, like a good actor. I, I his acting ability, and I enjoyed him as parker i certainly did so i will say that as an opening statement yes now if you enjoy him and you can tolerate this movie then you'll want to go and watch some of his others because there's more statham goodness just like this film produced to be had um except that you won't see him as a priest which was kind of disappointing when it stopped because i was like hey and then they killed it it was just a get up yeah, it was that just was a so get up for his his robbery, uh, uh, his uh, his misdoings there. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was certainly enjoyable to see, yes, for sure. But you know, we knew that he wasn't a priest, so and we knew that he wasn't playing a priest. Now uh, we wanted to give you a few of the rundown details as usual, and what's kind of frustrating to me is that we don't know what the production budget was on Parker. That just kind of it's kind of like really why not. <laughs> well, at least well, not not on box office mojo i'm trying to find it in another source if i can okay well while you mull, mull over that we'll give you a few more details here we go budget 30 million really yep 
Oh, okay. Where'd you find that? IMDb. That's my okay. second go-to source if, if Box Office if Mojo doesn't have it. Okay, let me just punch that in here, add it to the outline or show notes. 30 million, zero, zero, zero. Okay, zero. Okay. All right, so the domestic box office uh, week, first weekend was, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that really the total? Is that really all it's made? No, that's not yep, right. That's right. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I just found it on Box Office Mojo. It says it's got 8,255,000. Yeah, but opening weekend was 7 million. Oh, okay. Well, the problem here is that I don't have the grand total for the entire time in theaters. Well, you're just not very well prepared today, are you? Shucks. Okay, let's see here. Total in theaters. All right. Okay. There. Done. It's in my notes for promiscuity. All right. No, was it? What is it? (laughs) Promiscuity? What? What is the word I'm thinking of? This episode is going off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, perpetuity. Perpetuity, that's what you Thank were thinking you. of. Okay, so a little bit about the film. Parker is an American crime thriller film directed by Taylor Hackford, who perhaps uh, is best known for his movie Ray, about Ray Charles. Parker, starring Jason Statham, Jennifer Lopez, and Nick Nolte, is the film adapt- ad- adaption of Flash Fire, the 13th, the 13th, the 19th Parker novel written by Donald Westlake under the name Richard Stark. Now, Parker marked a departure in director Hackford's career, who uh, hoped to make it in his first film noir kind of film, action film. The film was conceived following uh, author Westlake's death in 2008 when his wife and producer, Les Alexander, acquired and, and secured the rights to this uh this story this 19th in his novel series uh filming in palm springs uh palm beach uh, florida attracted a significant amount of local media attention and was said to have increased the area's holiday interest additionally parker's filming in new orleans helped its local film industry the film premiered in las vegas nevada on january 24th and was released in the united states on january 25th Reviews have been generally mixed, with reviews finding Statham appropriate and well-fitted for the role of Parker and praising the work of Lopez as providing comedic relief. What? What? Okay, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. (laughs) So says the internets. However, others have gone on to call Parker a generic Statham film, which begins promisingly but ends predictably. Mm. And I think that's a little bit more consistent <laughs> of an opinion with this film the latter all right well uh, rotten tomatoes the uh, tomato meter is at 36 percent not a lot of uh, not a lot of critics like this film very much audience is still only at 63 percent so you know a little better but and and there's something to be said i mean for just going to see jas jason statham in this film i mean you, you, it's almost worth it just to see him in the film because he, he is pretty fantastic. And I imagine that if there are still any Nick Nolte and Jennifer Lopez fans <sighs> out there that maybe, maybe if there are any, maybe they're watching this film and enjoying it simply because they like their faces. Both of, both of those were such wrong casting choices. Well, did you read my review? I did. Okay. My opinion of Jennifer Lopez was that she was, um, cast for this role very very well but that the role just totally didn't belong in the film oh so what you're saying is that the role should have been cut 
Yes. And I don't disagree with that. that I entirely. think maybe that's pretty much the same complaint that I'm having. I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, J-Lo and her role did not belong in this film. And the basis for this is, for one, that, you know, um, the director decided, uh, I don't know why the director took it this way, but when he introduces um, uh, Leslie Rogers, who's played by Jennifer Lopez in the film, he chose to make her parts feel like they belonged in an entirely different film. They feel reminiscent of something like a chick flick, and that now Jennifer Lopez is the star of her own little chick flick that keeps intruding on this bigger crime thriller with Jason Statham and others, and it just it doesn't work more than the more than the first half of the film is dedicated to Parker. Right. Well, I was going to say the very the first act, the whole first act didn't have uh, Lopez in it at all. Like, it was all about Parker, and it was, you know, kind of setting up the story. The first act is about setting up the story, um, and she wasn't in it. She wasn't in the first act, like, and then all of a sudden we introduced it. In fact, I, I got to wondering at one point, where is Jennifer Lopez? I thought she was going to be, like, a part of this film, and she wasn't in it, and then all of a sudden, there she is, and now all of a sudden the film is a competition between Statham and Lopez about these two different, very different stories, a chick flick and the the robber. <laughs> right. And while we're at it, let's go ahead and tell you a little bit more about the storyline. Uh, primar- primarily set in Palm Beach, Florida, the film revolves around a professional thief named Parker, who is double-crossed by the crew of Melander, the head of a professional group of robbers. Parker sets out for revenge on them, traveling to Palm Beach, where he enlists the help of real estate agent Leslie, played by Jennifer Lopez. The motley duo band together in a quest to steal large sums from Melander, and as the story develops, Leslie falls for Parker, who remains faithful to his longtime girlfriend, Claire, played by Emma Booth. And that's part of the problem here, is that uh, Parker himself is all over the place, right? Because sometimes he's, he's, um, he's taking the time to uh, teach people around him a thing or two about how they can live their lives better, <laughs> even when he's yeah. about to shoot them dead. <laughs> but but then uh when it comes to his own life and his own relationships with women he has this girlfriend that he has conveniently um in secret and and they're very devout to each other the girlfriend is totally cool with what parker does for a living which is well like, what? not totally cool but she's she's as she said parker is who he is and you can't change it yes yes so. but uh it, it, it's just it just felt inconsistent and then when uh, when uh, Jennifer Lopez's character, Leslie, and Claire briefly interact in the film, Leslie is so quick to uh, let it slip and uh, slip past her. Okay, so Parker has a girlfriend. Okay. That, that alone was a hiccup in the whole film, that there was this botched up uh, love triangle that never worked in the first place because Parker n- never did anything to l- lead Leslie on. Right, it was it was never a love triangle at all. Right, that that and and not that I'm advocating for love triangle stuff. I usually hate that, but um, it it never worked. What they were trying to do, it was obviously supposed to be a bit of a love triangle triangle, but it never worked because Parker, uh, they, they were trying to show Parker as this very moral in his own way with his own rules, but faithful to his own rules, this moral guy in that way who was very faithful to this girlfriend of his. He was never at all interested or tempted or interested in at all uh, Leslie, Jennifer Lopez's Leslie. And so, sure, Lopez, uh, what was her, Jen, uh, 
uh, Leslie, yeah. was attracted to him, but it seemed like for his money, and you never really empathized with Lopez at all over that, because, like, you don't know anything about this guy, and he's obviously a criminal. Why are you trying to get involved with him? And it just didn't work. It just didn't work. Yeah. I totally agree. Now, huh, what did we like about the film? Uh, Jason Statham was excellent. What You, you know, his... I, I take great quibbles with the character that he played but as an actor as an actor he was superb just absolutely superb and if you would if you could completely excise somehow and rewrite the story just a bit to accommodate it it wouldn't take a lot of rewriting actually but if you could completely excise j-lo's character it would have been a better film uh yeah most agreed and nick nolte great uh, so, as well so i i guess what i'm saying is i i kind of liked the parts of the film in some ways, and I'll, I'll get to why I feel like I shouldn't like it, but in some ways I did uh, like the film that, that that wasn't revolving around Lopez. Right. Now, something about this film that kind of huh, you're fooled into, you know, kind of early on in the film, the film presumes that you're just in for it for the ride. You know that this is going to be a popcorn-driven film. This is entertainment. This is about action. But it seems like even a film with this premise needs to be a bit more intelligent than it was because Parker is the good guy as he's characterized as well, I mean, as they're it, trying to present him to us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's all this machismo, right? Where he's walking around with a big brimmed white cowboy hat <laughs> and you know, it's, it's just one of his, um, you know, his, uh, covers to be the Texan San Antonio, dude. Texas. Yeah. As he, <laughs> terribly terribly tried to say <laughs> so cliched and who couldn't see through that yeah and, and, and i don't know maybe maybe they thought that that was comedic but it I seems like moments did. like yeah moments like that that they meant to be comedy in the film were not well done well i don't think statham is suited I'll, for comedy i'll give it to him though it worked at, for a little bit of comic relief like i did right but I there's laughing with them and there's laughing at them and this is more about laughing at them okay i'll, I'll give you that um so, um, I, I think that, shoot, you know, this is the kind of movie that probably would work better as a novel, because at least ways in the construction of the novel, it's all up in your head, you're imagining how these characters all make sense, and to you in your mind's eye, this reality of characters like Parker and Leslie and Hurley and Melander all makes sense, because you've created them in your own imagination. But when you see them up on screen, you're just kind of thinking to yourself, are you familiar with the TV show Burn Notice? Oh, am I familiar with the TV show Burn Notice? I think we've talked about this. Yes. Uh, we have. We I, have. I watch okay. the show. I'm a big, I'm a Good. huge fan of the show. Did it Love ever seem show. to you that perhaps this film was trying to be in the same vein as Burn Notice? Yeah, maybe. I, it, that did not occur to me. I can see where you might think that. I think the difference, though, since we're on the topic of the morality of the film, is I have I don't have nearly as many quibbles with the morality of Burn Notice. Like exactly, he's, he's never trying. He, he's he's never trying to do things that are wrong and follow his own code of morality. He actually has an external code of morality that he follows. Let's think about. Um, let's take a very simple, you know, example. Um, everybody has seen Disney's Aladdin. TJ, you've seen it, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Well, Aladdin is a, a thief and a beggar, and circumstantially, it looks like you kind of got to kind of pity him because he doesn't have family, etc. at the beginning of the film. But you know he's a thief, right? And that can't go on forever. Inevitably, he's got to get a clean slate. He's got to make right. So during the Disney Aladdin story, Aladdin eventually, you know, he turns a new leaf and he's got to confess his faults and he's got to do the noble thing and he's got to win the girl's heart. He's got to stop the villain at all costs, even if it means sacrificing his life. And he ultimately uses his own cleverness that he learned from when he was a thief to defeat, um, what was his name, um, Jafar. Now, had he never been a thief, he probably wouldn't have been clever enough to outwit Jafar. Right. So all things work out in the end. You you kind of have to thank you know the you know whatever <laughs> because I don't know that there is a god in that film, but in the oh, construct in the, of the in film, the construct it, of the film, no. <laughs> yeah, there it's almost poetic, right? Though that's the point is that in the end, Aladdin's whole construct of being a thief worked out in the end, and it's 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 just a little bit ironic, and it's it's fun irony. But in this film, here you have the bad guy who has ethics, but they are his own. And they're outside of the law. They're self-serving. He, they're not. He's not in the, looking out for anyone else's interests. No, not and, at all. And then the only thing that kind of makes him look like he is less than selfish is when he lets Leslie in on his racket. But that's not selfless either, because he's still robbing people who just robbed others, and he's not, you know, turning them over to the police. He's not returning the money. He's only looking out for himself, and he's taking away millions upon millions of dollars, and and people are dropping dead left and right. Yeah, well, let's look at his his let's look at his tagline, if you will, what he says about himself. I don't steal from people who can't afford it, and I don't hurt people who don't deserve it. But by, by, by whose standard? By whose standard can they afford to be robbed from? Who's who? Who are you to say I can take money from them because they can afford it? I won't take money from these people because they can't afford it. I mean, sure, we can all look at people and think, well, they're living in excess, but that's their right to do that, right? By mm-hmm. but but that's but but so he has the standard that he's applying, and it's all very selfish, and it's all of himself. So frankly, uh, you know, I. <sighs> As a Christian, I run into this a lot in Christian circles. Where, oh, the movie has this in it or that in it or it has nudity or maybe it has somebody who, of evil villain who's just over the top and we can't watch that. That's promoting villainy. Well, no, I, I don't find that nearly as detractable as I find this. This, to me, this anti-hero hero is far more damaging. This, this, is, uh, this is morality turned on its head. This is calling good evil and evil good. So that that yeah. to me that that to me removed several stars from the rating of this film that, by just by itself. And then the remaining stars for me were removed by Jennifer Lopez and Nick Nolte. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the, if you put and people, please understand, we enjoy the entertainment value of the film uh, all the same because you know the action was really clever. Um, things like that were didn't feel choreographed. They felt like they were really thought through and believable, very creative. Yeah, it's always fun to see Statham when he's doing these kinds of things. I think that whomever is responsible for um, designing action sequences and Statham films are all the same because same guys, same stunt people, and whatever it is, whatever you call it, that's directing 
um, that kind of insane uh, hand-to-hand combat violence. Yeah, well, because it could, you know, it could very, even be part of feels, his contract. Yeah, and it just feels uh, genuine. In so many other films, they cheat, right? Even the uh, one of the films that we need to you know compare most all action films with lots of gritty hand-to-hand combat action sequences is um say born supremacy born identity you know there's all these moments where born is um you know a hand-to-hand with some guy and, he, and the, you know there's a lot of quick movement and lots of fast motion and sometimes you know what they're doing and sometimes you just don't because the way that they're staged, the way they're filmed and they're, they're cut, you can't really appreciate what happened. You're just seeing all these speeding blurs. And then the next moment, Jason is walking away from six guys that are all piled on the floor unconscious. Um, but when it comes to Statham films, that rarely happens. And this film, it was another case in point. Just a lot of dead bodies, a lot of, a lot of people um, you know, brutalized. But it was because you got assassins and robbers at each other's throats. Yeah, and every time it just seemed like for its entertainment value, those moments excelled. But that does not matter, right? Because if we put this kind of guy in the real world, would we would we be rooting for him? Nope. We wouldn't root for this guy. Nope, not Parker. at all. So yeah, I mean, he was a bad guy. See, he's the anti-hero mm-hmm. hero. So what would, <laughs> what, <laughs> what would you rate this film? Uh, I'm 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 just trying to be fair. I'm giving it 1.5 stars. Yeah, that seems totally fair to me. I've I've vacillated back and forth a little bit, but I think I'm going with two of five stars. And and that is, I want to give it a neutral rating just because Statham's performance is worth seeing. And a neutral rating to me is, eh, take it or leave it. You can go see it and have fun with it. But it's slightly less enjoyable than that for me, just simply because of the questionable morality of of trying to make Jason's uh, uh, Parker a hero. You you can't do that, and so I have to I have to bring it down under neutral, and I have to go into my dislike side. So, yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it two, and, and I, yeah. I think one and a half is totally fair as well. And you know I can you could persuade me to come down to that. <laughs> well, here let me try. Um, for anybody who hasn't given it consideration, do you need to see this film because it's got Statham in it? Well, we all love Statham, but the thing is, in his role here, he's essentially the same character he is in all of his roles. Now, the stories always change, and the theme always changes. They always have something to do with revenge, it seems. But <laughs> yeah. Statham is always himself. Uh, it's when, in this film, he goes off the beaten path and he starts pretending he's a Texan, and they move the all the film story down to Palm Beach, Florida, that everything goes silly, you know, and, and falls apart around Jennifer Lopez's character. So... I guess what I'm recommending is that if you got to get yourself some good Statham, then go watch one of his other movies and skip this one entirely. If you just got to see everything Statham, then go ahead and watch the film. But yeah, you can't say that we didn't warn you. Well, and to be fair, Joe, my my two star rating is not a go see this in theater. If it was above two and a half, you know, any you know, as it advances beyond two and a half, then yeah, maybe see it in theater. But it's a two star. I don't say go see it in theater at all. And uh, I will say though, the one thing this film did for me is it made me want to go see some other Statham films. So. Yeah, I'll probably do that. Mm. And we have another delightful little film to talk about tonight. This was much more enjoyable for me. Oh, yeah. Not for oh, you, yeah. but for me. Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> uh, I I found – and see, here's the thing. I went into this film. I wasn't sure what 
to expect. Because here's the deal, okay? I say this a lot. You pointed this out to me when you proofed my review, because I said it in my review that I uh, put on MovieBite. And I, I guess we say this a lot. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I, I really do mean that, because I could see this film going either way for me. Like, it could have been really bad, or it could have, you know, it could have been decent. And I think it landed on the decent side. I never thought this film had a chance of being, like, the best film of all time or anything like that, just lest you think I went off the deep end or something. Um, but you know, I mean, runner has, runner has a boomstick. What more could you ask for? <laughs> uh, when you say that, it actually makes it seem less credible. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Dude, I just thought it was funny. It was a good bit of fun though. Um, no, I mean, it, uh, it, it yes, it, it was probably even more in some ways more violent than Parker. Wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah. more, more bloody, more gruesome, but it was so over the top. It was kind of car- cartoonish, which to me that that sort of detracts from the seriousness. Like, you can't take it seriously anymore. And and to me, I mean, it's fantasy fairy tale that worked well. So um, this film was in theaters on January the twenty fifth. Had a budget of fifty thousand dollars, and it opened to the tune of nineteen million, nineteen point six million on opening weekend. Uh, better than I thought it would do. I actually didn't think it would do that well. It's January. It's a lesser known film. So anyway, uh, and worldwide it has made fifty-eight million. So it's brought in its production budget back. So I suppose that's a good for it. And it's going to be just about the only thing worth seeing for the next several weeks. Yeah, I mean, I thought I think it's I certainly think it's the best thing in the theaters right now. Uh, and you know, so what's this film about? Hansel and Gretel is a two thousand thirteen action horror dark fantasy film with black comedy elements. Co-written and directed by Tom Ricola Workola. And filmed in 3D. Originally scheduled for March 2012, the R-rated film was released in 2D, 3D, and IMAX 3D, premiering in the United States on January the 25th. Mainstream critics generally panned the film, particularly for what they saw as a weak script. However, horror genre critics were more positive, viewing the film as unpretentious entertainment. And entertaining, I think that that meant to say. The film topped the domestic box office in its opening weekend and was also a hit in Russia. So, and I, I, I do, I do agree, uh, that the script was a little bit weak. Um, and that was probably in, in my review, wouldn't you say that was probably my main complaint was the weak script? Yeah. Well, not exactly a weak script, but definitely a weak plot line. Light, light like script. It, yeah. I think maybe is how I described it. It's a little mm. light, little, not, not enough meat on the bones. So that's, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and other things too, that I think people will complain about. I didn't find this as problematic as some might find it, but uh, it was a little bit of a see-through plot, uh, as, as you're, I think you're kind of describing, which I think I predicted pretty much every beat in the story. I, but, yeah. but see, I take a different view of that. A lot of people, a lot of critics will pan movies for that. And I don't think that's necessarily to, to, to say anything bad about the film because all story follows, all good story follows certain themes and elements and has patterns, right? I mean, what makes a story good? Um, and so I don't think that's necessarily bad. And when you have an obvious plot point, the best way to, to do it, as I said in my review, there's a way to do obvious, and I think Hansel and Gretel did it okay. Don't make a big deal out of it like it's a world-ending mystery. And they didn't. They didn't. It wasn't like this, oh, okay, and here comes a spoiler. It's like it's not like, oh, I wonder I, if I have witch blood or not. You know, I don't know. It, it, they didn't make a big deal out of it. It just was. And I think when you have something that's that obvious, I, I, I thought that from the very beginning, like early in the film, didn't you? Yeah. And, and I know thought... Some- and Something you- I noticed was in uh, IMDb that uh, several other people who liked Hansel and Gretel also enjoyed MIB th- uh, films. 
And it didn't well, occur to me go. exactly what the <laughs> yeah exactly what was the connection, and then it dawned on me oh duh, well witches to Hansel and Gretel are aliens to MIB. And they are I, just I suppose Hansel and Gretel will be the Men in Black. Yeah, I suppose I could see that, and I do like MIB, and I I like this movie okay. And I can understand why you would enjoy Hansel and Gretel in that light. If you if you interpret it this way, it's tolerable. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the film. I'll just go ahead and let's just well, see, spoiler I mean, alert. I this, do not like this film. <laughs> this, but, is, this, yeah. this is a story mod. And what I mean by that is you take a story such as Hansel and Gretel and uh, you, you change some details about, excuse me, about the original story and you kind of make it the backstory. And now we go see what Hansel and Gretel are doing all grown up now. And I actually, I, I, they can go either way, but when it's done right, I think it's a huge win. Like I, I like that. And I can, some people don't. Maybe you're one of those people. Well, on that note, I guess uh, it kind of ties in with one of your dislikes. You know, one of my favorite uh, cartoon films of recent years was Tangled. And I like to watch that a lot with my mm. daughter. Now, here's the thing. It's just light entertainment, but it's pretty well designed. It has just a pinch of Pixar quality to it. Yeah. And yet it seems to harken back to more traditional good moments of Disney entertainment. Now, the thing about Tangled, though, is that it takes a very basic fairy tale and puts a lot of meat on the bones so that it's got all this story that Rapunzel, the traditional classic, never had and could only dream of. And so, yes, it is lighthearted and simple. and It's obviously targeting young little girls and it works. And then just enough along the way, there's enough entertaining gimmicks and animation tricks and funny moments that I I could get something out of it. But the thing for me was I generally am very critical of story mods, as you refer to it. Um, And when Tangled came about, it seemed to me that they just gave it all they had with all this extra meat on the bones that it worked. Now, let's compare this to another film, uh, Amanda Seyfried's Red, which came out in 2011. Which is a mod on Red Riding Hood, right? Yes, it's a mod on Red Riding Hood, most definitely. And it has a lot of stuff in it that makes you think that it was just trying to take advantage of the Twilight films and their popularity. So, Mm, I probably wouldn't like that. But see, that's the thing, is that Red, in many ways feels very consistently uh it's like it was from the same mold as hansel and gretel witch hunters okay it, it really does feel like they're uh two peas in a pod and with red it, i hated what they did to the red riding hood story because they flesh it out yeah but then th- there was all this silliness and over-the-top acting and it was very much like a, a, a play but then when things were scary, they were more than just scary. It seemed like it was so over the top that it was, like you said, cartoonish. But the thing was that you're dealing with very serious sort of um, scary moments in film, and then the cartoonish behavior steals away from, I guess, enjoying the moment and vicariously being in the moment, appreciating the uh the extreme the the extreme i guess i need to feel that the film is somehow believable 
if the film gets uh, so ridiculous that I cannot believe its universe and I cannot picture myself in that universe because there's way too many contrivances, then it, it loses its its uh, salt. So, And I felt that way about Hansel and Gretel, right? The problem wasn't Hansel and Gretel. It was the witches they were hunting. And they totally deserved to be hunted because they were terrible. Of course. Well, I, I kind of enjoyed that. See, and maybe I, maybe it's a reaction to Parker where evil was good and evil was evil in Parker, where I, there wasn't any difference. Some of evil was good and some evil was bad. This film felt like it had good and evil in its proper place. I, I thought, and maybe maybe it's maybe I'm reacting to that, but I, I enjoyed the film. Uh, well, on that note, it's obviously a fairy tale. You can't really take the the morals to the story too seriously. And I, I guess, my, like for instance, I know that a lot of religious people would had take issue with the idea of good witches oh, and well. bad witches. But uh, yeah, it's such a it's such an over the top fantasy. It's no different from Wizard of Oz, and I think you just gotta have you live with it because um, I guess it, it, did it ever occur to anyone that there are no good orcs in Lord of the Rings? There oh, yeah, are no well, good goblins. This is kind of a side note, but yeah, that, that's uh, that's something very intentional by uh, uh, Tolkien. Is um, very or, clear or cut, right? It's very wrong. clear cut. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I suppose I think what he's trying to do allegorically. Well, he's always said that it's not an allegory, so it's the wrong word. But in his in his fanciful way, in his fanciful world, I think it is somewhat analogous to uh, Christian. Uh, um, spiritual, warfare. spiritual warfare, where uh, demons are always demons and angels are always angels. You know that orcs, I'm sorry, this is a side note, but you've kind of got my fanboy going here. Um, orcs are uh, corrupted uh, elves. Right? You knew huh? that, right? Yes. They're, they're related I didn't to the elves. that orcs were not our, Oh, oh, elves. Elves. Oh. And so that is very analogous to uh, the, the angels and then the demons, which have been cast down, cast out of heaven. So huh. anyway, side note, but yeah, that that's very intentional by Tolkien. But you know, it's it's different here. Um, I and and where magic is part of the world that they're in. This is a fanciful world that has been created by the writers or the filmmakers, and so the magic is a part of the world. And uh, so it, it it's like I said, it's fantasy. Yeah, I don't have well, a problem with that. The, here here's the short on the story. It is a continuation to the German folk story tale Hansel and Gretel which was recorded by the Brothers Grimm and published in 1812. The film stars Jeremy Renner and, how do you pronounce her name, Gemma Arterton? Gemma Arterton. Gemma Arterton. It's a nice name. In the titular roles of a brother and sister duo of professional witch hunters, along with Famke Jansen as the deadly leader of the coven of evil witches that they seek to destroy in this film. Um... So, very quickly, it tells the story of Hansel and Gretel at the beginning of the film, the traditional story, with just a minor, little bit added to it. Right, minor modifications. And that part I really enjoyed. It, it, got, it whet my appetite, and I was like, oh, okay, wow, I, I really appreciated that they didn't actually change the traditional story all that much. They just added to it, and that was a cool, clever story mod. See, Red uh, actually tells the story of Red Riding Hood, but it changes all the characters. Grandma mm-hmm. doesn't behave like Grandma. Red is an older young lady. Um, the The big bad wolf turns out to be related to someone close to Red, and that's like, oh, really? You know, things like that. And with this film, at least, they didn't have uh, too many clever uh, moments, right? Where it's like, okay, you just outdid yourself. Um, my problem with Hansel and Gretel is mainly this. 
that in addition to what you've already mentioned, not enough meat on the bones, as it were, the witches are very two-dimensional. They don't have a beginning. They have no end. They have no purpose for where they're headed. Something, again, I want to relate this to Tolkien films. Thank you, Peter Jackson, (laughs) for doing this right with uh, all the different races and all the special groups in Lord of the Rings, Middle-Earth, all these different peoples have a purpose. They have a history. They have a place they started and where a place they're headed. They have um, cultural uh, normalities, conventions, and they all have an individual story amongst them. All the characters are unique in a particular group or species or race. So you, know, you didn't need to know a whole lot about dwarves in the original films to appreciate Gimli, the dwarf that's always um, banned together with Legolas. Yeah. But you understood what kind of person he was with very little information and what kind of people the dwarves must be. And then in this film, uh, the Hansel and Gretel, you see several witches, and they allude to the idea that they are actually a species unto themselves. They're not human beings. Right, right. For but precisely. then they don't. Kind of like orcs. But then they don't really explain much about, well, why are these witches here? Where are they going with all this? And my complaint was more along the lines that they don't develop any backstory at all. They don't develop what drives the witches, really. They're just, they're just there and they're just there practicing magic. And if, and if they don't, you know, if if you're a human, they don't like you. And then that's kind of that. And I, I certainly in my, in my art, in my review complained about that as well. I, I I thought that was a poor story choice. Um, uh, on that note, but, too, even the Wizard of Oz got one thing right here. When it produced um, good witches and bad witches, you kind of understood that they were a class of people unto themselves, and they didn't uh, always live in society. They they served society, or they were attacking society as the evil witches. But the good witches were um, uh, servants, civil servants of society, and you kind of understood why they, you know, people like Glenda might do such a thing. Yeah. But another uh, another um, uh, pitfall for Hansel and Gretel is when they introduce good witches in this film, they live among the human race. They live with them and well, they... Well, at, at least the one did. And the impression, there too, was is two. there's probably... There not, were two, there were, at were the, least. And they mentioned oh, that there that's are many true. others that's true. that well, they never showed. Yeah, that's true. But... Um, so the the, the good well, witches are okay. assimilated and they behave like they are humans, but the, uh, I assume they're not supposed to be humans. So what's going on? Well, okay, they didn't explain this very well. I never assumed that they weren't humans, just that they had abilities in their magic that that as and then they called them. They would refer to others as humans, but that they really were human. They just no, had no, no, no. Sort of- See, they they weren't humans because um, the grand wicked witch um, she was saying Muriel. herself, Muriel. Yeah, she said at one point. Uh, uh, something like um, something to the effect of how can humans stand to live in right. well, a what house I'm saying, like this? What, what I'm like saying that, is right? I took that as just the way she refers to the others. <laughs> kind of like how uh, in the Twilight series, I'm sorry to use this example, uh, don't hate me. In the Twilight series, uh, the vampires, even though they had been human and they've been transformed, they would refer to others as humans and themselves as vampires. I took it the same way. Like They, they were oh, born okay. of human parentage, but they have these special abilities, sort of like – here's a better example – sort of like in Harry Potter where you're born with magical abilities that makes you a wizard, and if you're not, that makes you a muggle. Okay, well, I'll buy into that. It just that's, didn't that's, seem like that was That was a story obvious, I told uh, myself anyway. Okay. And the more familiar you are with the fantasy genre, I think the more sense a story like Hansel and Gretel m- makes. 
Um, I know several other um, fans of fantasy films in general, and when they see this film, they really enjoy it. They really get it. They they just they like they they like. To me, what I deem uh, unplausible and contrived, they just dr- deem the conventions of the genre. Right? You talking about this? So, you're talking about this film. Yeah, Hansel Gretel. Make sure I was tracking with you. Right. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed it for a fantasy film for what it was. A little. And the only reason I I think I rated it more poorly than I could ha- could have otherwise is just because the story was a little lacking. Right. But I'm not so, I'm not complaining about the things you are. <laughs> uh, one uh, two things I wanted to note that I actually could see w- that worked for Hansel and Gretel was that the audience in general liked it, though there was a lot to a lot to swallow. Right. There's a lot of um. it's really hard to predict what would be in this film even after seeing the trailer. So wetting your appetite for this film, unless you've caught a review or you've heard us, I think it'd be very difficult to know what you're getting into until you just sat down the theater and watched the first act. Yeah. Um, So the general audience gave it a 66 on Rotten Tomatoes. But that said, I think that pleasantly surprisingly um, Hansel and Gretel is a better film than I had anticipated. And, th- <laughs> and not to spoil your star rating just yet, but you didn't rate it very well. You were expecting to rate it lower. <laughs> yes. Now, the reason that this film worked at all was because I enjoyed the performances of uh, Gemma and Jeremy. That uh, they, they did as a great pair as brother and sister. I felt like they could um, work dynamically together. And Jeremy Renner, um, he does fabulous as essentially Hawkeye displaced in a totally different universe. Um, yeah, well, that's one of the things I wanted to mention is the acting was certainly fantastic from all three of our, our top uh, roles here. You, you've got uh, Jeremy Renner, uh, obviously known mostly for his role now in The Avengers. Um, and, and you know, he was in, uh, uh, what's that film? The, the Bourne series. I The Bourne film, I pretend that doesn't exist. Bourne and Legacy. I, the Bourne Legacy. And I, I don't have a problem with Jeremy Renner in that film. I have a problem with that film. But Jeremy Renner was fine in it, if you if you understand what I'm saying. So yeah. so Jeremy Renner, uh, Ghost Protocol. He was good in Ghost Protocol as well. So I like Jeremy Renner as an actor, and he was good here. I, I felt like he did the role quite well here. Gemma Ardard, and I've only seen in Quantum of Solace. I liked her well enough there, and I enjoyed her character here. I thought she did very well. In fact, I would say I enjoyed her here more than I did in Quantum of Solace, simply because her role was bigger, probably. Um, now, now here's something interesting. I liked uh, Famke Jansen in the role, but why? Okay, tell me why would you, if you were a director, why would you cast Famke Jansen? What would be the reason you would cast her? Thinking, <laughs> oh, not, right. th- thinking secularly, why would you cast Famke Jansen? Uh, she's popular. She's, she's a, a starlet. Right. She's, she's a well known face. Let's face it. She's a well known beauty. She's considered for her beauty, right? Uh, she's uh, she's uh, been a model. Uh, she's well known as being a beautiful person. And she but is, she can also she can po- also sell the idea that she's a more mature actress that she she carries. Um, oh, certainly she comports herself very well. But right, like, she has more years to her. But, you know, but but yeah. by and large, the reason is because she's a very attractive woman. Yeah. Um. And, and in, I mean, I'm not even saying I'm saying in a good way. Like she's yeah. just a very attractive woman and comports herself very well. Now, <laughs> why would you hire her for a role like this? Where yes, uh, they said that the Grand Witch can make herself look beautiful, and she did that a handful of times in the film. But for the most part, she had this ugly makeup caked on her face that made her look terrible. <laughs> it was just, I'm just like, what? What? What were? What were you guys thinking? 
Uh, well, when you say makeup, you're talking about what made her look like an an old, ugly, uh, hag, disgustingly witch. hideous witch. Right. All the witches were absolutely hideous. Yes, and agreed. It all had very unique makeup. All uh, looked like they were absolutely grotesque in a different way. They didn't, in that regard, they actually didn't look like they were related at all. You know, all orcs kind of look alike until you start paying attention to the details. Um, they all look like they belong to the same race or or. Cre- uh, creature you right. know r- yeah. race blood dna but yeah when it came to the witches each one was so um uh starchly unique from the other and then yeah you're right though it was it was but but it, my my, uh, my my larger point is while i enjoyed famke jansen and thought she did a fine job in the role why <laughs> why hire her <laughs> it's just weird like and i if i were the actress i'd be like you want to do what now <laughs> I don't know. And they, you know, another example, as I brought up in my review, they did the same thing with Michelle Pfeiffer. Again, uh, an actress known for her beauty. And uh, in Stardust, they did the same thing where she, she was like, she appeared as Michelle Pfeiffer without any, you know, like ugly makeup for like five minutes of the whole film of Stardust. And then the rest of the time, she was an old wrinkled hag. I mean, you gotta be like, what are you doing? So anyway, it's just a side note. But I, I thought she did fine. And I, I enjoyed her. I enjoyed all three top roles. So. Mm, most definitely agreed. So, but yeah, um, but yeah, roles were good. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you you didn't you didn't care for the. Film. <laughs> well, one other uh, thing I wanted to note that I liked was the three um, D. Did you see it in three D? I didn't. I can't stand three D. It gives me a headache, and I don't like three okay. D. And no, I did not. I I utterly refused. Okay, for everybody else out there who's still got an open mind, I <laughs> um, want to explain that the three D in this film is the best I have ever seen, second to. Uh, Hugo by what's his name? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, uh, it was really good. And when I went in to buy my ticket, I didn't realize it was going to be a 3D film. And I was like, oh, okay, shoot. I didn't really want to see it in 3D. I wasn't in the mood. And so when they gave me my 3D glasses, I kind of shrugged it off. Ah, okay. And when I sat down and I put them on, I watched the first scene unfold. And like I mentioned before, the beginning is essentially the story of Hansel and Gretel in a nutshell as children. And when I saw that scene unfolding, I was like, oh, okay, wow, this is, this is actually collectively working. But one of the reasons it kind of struck me as odd that the 3D worked is that so much of the scenes were in dark locations. Mm. You know, they were inside very dilapidated, dark, dank houses or caves or scenes that were unfolding at night or in a very gloomy dreary woods and for all of for all of that it didn't seem to impede the quality of the 3d now i i get headaches every now and then i can't say from experience that uh if you have headache problems with 3d then you won't have it with this film I, because my, I get headaches inconsistently, right? Um, and when I have them, they're few and far between, and they don't seem related to the 3D aspects of a film. Though it has, I have got headaches from 3D. But when I saw this film, I began to agree with something that Michael Minkoff has talked about on Movieology, our other podcast, that um, all film conventions and new technologies go through a difficult time where they try to figure out how to implement the new um, art tool they can bring to cinema. Yeah, I've heard so, him say that. Right, and I have to agree. The moment he described you know, his take on that, I had to agree. Because if you look back on hi- the history of cinema, they struggled just with the concept of unfolding a narrative with visuals and a story, right, without a play 
type um, scene. So very early black and white, uh, non-talking pictures felt like they were sketches on, um, you know, vaudeville. You know, th- that was the cream of the crop for very old films. And when they got audio, they used it for all these elaborate gimmicky things in old films. And I think that was where the musical was born because they found all this new lease on creativity mm. when they introduced sound. So motion pictures took advantage of that and they created as many musicals as they could. Um, and ultimately give them enough time. They realized, you know, musicals are cool and they have their place maybe, but they don't work for everybody. And they're certainly not something uh, that's, you know, um, endearing to all audiences for all times, right? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So give it enough time. Uh, co- you know, when color was introduced, it looked ridiculous, and then eventually they got it to where color felt very natural in a film. And the same thing is happening now with three D effects. So that give them, uh, you know, the filmmakers enough time and experience, they'll figure out what works and where they need to draw the line on gimmicky shots of moths, uh, you know, that Gandalf handles that are floating out in front of your face. (laughs) And then they'll get to, you know, using 3D for some genuine storytelling. And so that's how this film came across to me. I felt that the 3D enhances the film. It doesn't take away from the story. (sighs) And it's unfortunate that I didn't enjoy the film as much as I do. I mean, as I could, because if, if it were a better film, I'd recommend it to many others and say, yes, go see this film uh, with 3D so that you can see what 3D is really capable of. (sighs) I still consider it a gimmick. And, and, you know, I wonder too, you, you don't wear glasses. Do you wear contacts at all? I do not. Okay. So I, I wonder if that's the difference, too, because I wear glasses, and I had to put the 3D glasses on over my glasses, and it's always a big fat pain, and I wonder if that affects my headache. I don't know, but I, I, I come out of every 3D movie with a headache every single time, and, and some are worse than others. Wreck-It Ralph was particularly bad. I had a pretty bad headache coming out of that theater, and who knows? Maybe I was already prone to it. Maybe I would have gotten a little bit of a headache anyway. I don't know. I can't answer all those questions, but I know that... Every single time I see a film in 3D, it gives me a headache. I don't enjoy the experience. I don't think that – I've never seen a film that I really felt like it added to the art form. So that's me. But maybe I should have given this one the chance. But I just said, hey, I'm, I'm not interested in having a headache tonight. So I didn't. <laughs> I don't blame you. And going into – I mean, we've already tried to give uh, 3D chance after chance, right? I, if it were me and I had turned back the clock, I probably wouldn't have got uh, – got 3d if i had known if i had known what I, that that's what i was going to see you know yeah. so it's only coincidental that i gave it another shot okay well hey what uh i hate hate to even ask you because it's right here in the outline i know what it is gonna be <laughs> what do you rate this film joe darnell you evil person i'm gonna savor this moment i'm gonna torment you for a few more seconds i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it okay wait wait for five it. four Three, I give it two, one. <gasps> one and a half stars. Out of five. Joseph, you're a horrible person. This film was far more enjoyable Thank you. than that. Thank you very much. If that makes me a horrible person, then I want to be a horrible person. This film was far more enjoyable than that. And uh, I give it, it's just above my scale of neutral at three out of five stars. You know, so it's to me, it was more or less worth seeing in the theater. Would I have gone to see it in the theater? And especially knowing now how the film is, would I have gone to see it in the theater if I wasn't reviewing it for Movie Bite? 
Yeah, probably not. I'd probably wait for the home video, but it's still worth seeing. So I wouldn't see it on home video. Uh, it certainly has some violence. Uh, it's a little bit cartoony. It, oh, it's, you it's know. fairly extreme. I mean, again, remember, this is I, sort oh, of I will say this. Movie. Speaking of the violence, I will say this. I posted the Red Band trailer on Movie Byte because I had been talking about the film and how I was going to see it and thought it had potential. Didn't know which way it was going to go for sure, but I thought it had potential. So I thought, well, I better warn the audience. Okay, here's the Red Band trailer. It looks pretty gruesome. And I will say the Red Band trailer actually makes it look worse than it is, I thought. Right. There, yeah, there is, uh, it's rated R for strong fantasy, horror, violence, and gore, and brief sexuality, and nudity, and language. So, yeah, and it definitely deserved the R rating for those Oh, points. for sure. I'm not saying it didn't. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, I, I, you know, I would watch it once it came out on home video. I think that's what I would recommend for our audiences. Don't, you know, it, if you... All if you, things if considered, all things I considered. don't think the film would have worked if they had tried to make it cleaner. It's, it, the nature no. of the story doesn't lend itself to it. No, not at all. So... Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, and if you're looking for, from, from my perspective, if you are looking to go out and say, hey, I want to go see a movie tonight, this is probably the best thing in theaters right now. So, you know, worth seeing. Mm. Don't take your kids. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, right. certainly don't do that. So there you go. That's, that's Hansel and Gretel and Parker. Hey, we posted uh, a couple more quick things here uh, before we wrap up the podcast. We posted a... Uh, what they call what the what the cool kids these days call a meme on Facebook uh, on our on the Movie Byte Facebook page. Uh, I'll paint a word picture of of it, but I'll also put it in the show notes so that you can go see it. Uh, it is the scene uh, that has the uh, picture has been released from Star Trek Into Darkness of Kirk and Spock standing on either side, looking at the brig, looking at Benedict Cumberbatch in the brig, right? And it's everything's kind of white, and there's a glass barricade at the brig. Well, someone photoshopped in Vader instead of Benedict Cumberbatch after the news of J.J. Abrams broke. So we put that up and said, hey, caption this. And uh, we got a few uh, fun captions. I still like yours the best, probably. <laughs> you, you, you commented, it's a trap. <laughs> so that was fun. But uh, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of cool captions. Uh, I'm looking for one of the good ones here. So where do you fellows shop for boots? <laughs> and I, it's the first time I've noticed Kirk and Spock's boots before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, they they look pretty lame compared to Vader's. But yeah, and then somebody said, "Q, is that you?" <laughs> uh, so anyway, lots of fun captions. I'll uh, oh, you 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 did another caption. You said this is not the movie you were looking for. So that was fun. I'll put that in the show notes for folks to check out and look at all the captions that our our cool listeners and readers uh, captioned. So uh, yeah, and uh, by the way, we're going to probably do more memes in the future. Oh yeah, I love I've got having a, fun I've, captions and stuff like that. I've got a few queued up, so definitely keep an eye on our Facebook page, and I've also posted on Twitter. We don't get a lot of action on Twitter, which is unfortunate because I like Twitter better. But you know, you got to go where the people are. So we're 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 uh, chatting it up on Facebook. So, mm. but yeah, you all should give Twitter a chance. It's it's the best. Uh, so that's that. Uh, what else have we got here in the outline? Oh, you posted a trivia question on Facebook that we said we were going to answer in the podcast, so we need to do that. What, yeah, was, what um, was your trivia question? Let me see if I can find it. Had to do with Back it was, to the Future. Okay, yeah, movie trivia. Who is best known for his role in the Lord of the Rings movies, but can also be seen in the 1989 movie Back to the Future 2? And this was multiple choice. What were your choices? Yes, uh, Noel Appleby, Elijah Wood, or Sean Austin. Aston. Aston. And only yeah. two of those were actually in The Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the first guy was not, to the best of my knowledge. So it could have been, for me, either of those two choices. And unfortunately, we did have somebody spoil it in the comments. Shame on you. And we got we to gotta ask people not to do that in the future because we didn't. 
But uh, so assuming he's correct, of course, uh, what was the answer, Joe? Oh, it was Elijah Wood. It was and, Elijah Wood. I did not yeah, know. What was he? Where was he at in Back to the Future? I didn't know about that. Oh, he was just some random kid. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, I forget who he was. I remember hearing about it, and I saw a YouTube clip where they had identified Elijah Wood in the film. And he he was essentially just like a uh, yeah, very um, forgettable extra. And but it's funny, yeah, he's there. And you know, Elijah Wood have, he got his film career started when he was a child, and he did a lot of impressive things. Did you ever see his um, Oliver Twist Disney film where he played Dodger? He did a fabulous job. Uh, I haven't. No, that does not sound familiar. Yeah, it came out um, for, I think, the Disney Channel, and it was all live action. And it came out in the late 90s, early um, double O's. <laughs> and he and Elijah Wood really does a great job as uh, the, the artful Dodger. But yeah, he was um, he was a decent um, child actor. So. Okay. All and right. We'll have more of those to come. I think that uh, I think that wraps it up. Yeah, keep an eye on our Facebook page. There'll be more coming. Lots of fun stuff. I, I have some stuff queued up. I think it'll be fun. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna see if we can interact even more socially. I mean, we've been pretty we've been pretty uh, active on the net, on the Facebook and Twitter, but uh, we're gonna get more so. I hope so. Our featured topic next week will be the Wrath of Khan, uh, Star Trek Two, the Wrath of Khan. Um, still my favorite Trek film. We got to get somebody on besides you, just you, Joseph, because you're telling me that you don't like the film that much, and I, I just that that cannot be. This is the Trek film. I have a couple of people in mind as a guest. I just haven't nailed down any of them, so be expecting one. Okay. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one prospect, and uh, we got to get them on very soon. So yes, we'll keep you posted, people. And they have to have to like Trek because they have to help me win this war against you, Joseph. Oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, all right, we'll talk about it next week. Can't have believe fun with you. that. All right, so uh, we know there's that a reason there is an Angry Bird Star Wars and not an Angry Bird Star Trek. Well, because Star Trek has more class than that. Oh yeah, just, I'm just saying. Yeah, right. Troubles <laughs> or Tribbles or whatever they're called. Remember oh, well, that? Okay, all right. I'll give you Tribbles. Tribbles were uh, stupid. I never liked Tribbles. I'll give you that. Mm. Angry um, Birds are way cooler. But yeah, all right. Even though you're an evil person, Joe, people probably still of, of questionable taste. They'll they'll want to keep up with your work and follow you on the internet. And uh, they might like to know where to do that. Mm, please do. Um, you can find me at josephdarnell.com, josephdarnell.com. That's my Facebook profile. And I'm always Joseph Darnell at Twitter. And I have a personal site. I try to keep it up. It's been, um, I've been mysteriously absent lately from jivingjackalope.com. It's, it's like you got a I job. keep it up. I'm watching it. It's like, a, yeah, it's like I have a job and I, <laughs> I don't blog for a living. But, um, but yeah, so then uh, when I'm mysteriously absent from my own site, I'm probably over at MovieBite writing for you guys. So check out moviebite.com where I also write reviews and I share the movie news whenever I can and see fit. Yep. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am TJ Draper Pro, not TJ Draper. Don't follow him. He's an imposter. It's TJ Draper Pro uh, is where you can find me on Twitter. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash TJ Draper. Uh, obviously, moviebite.com is where I do a lot of writing every single day. I write something and uh, write reviews, uh, all kinds of stuff. So moviebite.com. I, I am posting again now occasionally at buzzingpixel.com, and you can hire me to do work for you, web web design, uh, film editing, and all that sort of fun stuff at buzzingpixelcreative.com. You can find all the show notes for this episode at moviebite.com slash mbpodcast slash 29. 
that's where you'll find the show notes and where you can uh, listen to this episode again and again and again and again. And uh, so there you go. That's that's all we got this week. And so we're out of here. Thanks, Joseph. All right. See you.